It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. I've got to get to my next guest here because, speaking of politicians, <laughs> boy, are we in for a wild ride. Veronique Deruji joins me, Senior Research Fellow at the Mercatus Center, always one of my favorites, and George Mason University as well as syndicated columnists. Veronique, great to have you back here again. Uh, so let, let's, you know, as I was just talking to Tony, let's talk about uh, our uh, vaunted politicians uh, in Washington. Now, here come, I, I love this phrase, by the way, I, I really did, I'm being sarcastic, like transitory inflation. I found that to be one of the weirdest combination of words and wrong in many ways. But now we're hearing extraordinary measures when it comes to the federal debt. Uh, Janet Yellen, extraordinary measures. Biden, extraordinary measures. Congress, including some Republicans, extraordinary measures. What the heck? Yeah, well, transitory uh, inflation, by the way, I would always ask, what do you mean by transitory? Because in my opinion, kind of the way they were defining transitory uh, just didn't fly. You know, like in everything in life is transitory apart from death, I guess, right? The way they were defining it, it didn't matter. It was like at some point, uh, you know, maybe in several years, we'll go back to normal. Uh, extraordinary measures are the kind of... Uh, um, the kind of measures that Treasury can use to delay um, having to kind of pick and choose what of which one of their bills they're not going to be paying once they hit the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling being this uh, this statutory limit that is put uh, above which Congress um, Treasury cannot borrow more money, and the only way. Um, Treasury could borrow more money above this limit is if Congress uh, votes to increase the debt ceiling. So that's what it is. So Basically like know, looking for coins on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need a lot more couches and everybody needs to well, look. <laughs> listen, they must have a lot of couches because they found at least $400 billion. I'm the, I'm I, I like their couches. Like, Is your couch at home have four hundred billion no, under it? No, mine I mean, doesn't. Believe me, after after I heard this and I thought, oh, you know, it's like looking for money in the couch. I was like, I went and looked at my couch and I couldn't find anything except for a cat treat. Yeah, you know, the, the let's talk about the players in this political tragedy. I'm not going to call it a drama. It's a political tragedy. It's an economic tragedy. Uh, there's a disease here. The disease is spending. Uh, mm -hmm. Fiscal restraint doesn't exist for the most part. And don't even get me started on valuation of our economy and our currency, you know, where we are. But, you know, the, the fact is this is there's a disease and Congress. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't see anything yet that said even the Republican led house has made a stand against, you know, this out-of-control spending in the next round. No, I, I mean, I agree with you. So the reason why we're having all these debt ceiling fights and they're intensifying is because precisely 
I mean, they're only the symptom of the disease, the disease that you um, you highlighted, which is overspending. And unfortunately, it's really bipartisan overspending. Um, the the Republicans used to talk a good game about cutting spending, but then when they were in power, they would never do it. Then after President Trump came into power, I mean, basically that 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 even pretense uh, of of fiscal responsibility went out the door. And uh, and here we are again having uh, a fight over the debt ceiling, um, the debt ceiling, by the way, which was increased, I think, three or four times uh, um, in the last um, under President um, Trump. Um, don't quote me on this, but it's a, a certain number of time, which is not un- insignificant. And, and the Republicans never said anything, never threw any fit about this. Now, I think that using the debt ceiling as a way to talk about fiscal responsibility is a good idea. The problem is that, as always, first, there's nothing they can do in that short period of time um, to actually really put real restraint. They can put some caps on on discretionary spending like they did in 2011, and it's not it's not insignificant. It's it's. But the problem is like. If you can't tie the hands of Congress, we've seen this in, after 2011, Congress can decide to suspend the caps, can decide to go over the caps, can decide, after all, I mean, they never follow their own rules, right? They 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 are supposed to pass 12 appropriations bills. That doesn't happen ever. They're, they're never on time. They always have to use what we call uh, continuing resolution, which is basically like extension of the spending because they haven't gotten to do their number one job, which is to pass a freaking budget. I'm sorry, but it's so annoying. And and so, and then the other thing that is, is problematic about the way the Republicans tend to go about this is that they're saying, you know, we want to be, it's time to talk about fiscal responsibility and their right. But then they say in their next, in the next breath, they say, well, but we can't actually touch any of the driver of our debt. We can't touch Social Security. We can't touch Medicare. We can't. Uh, these are the driver of our drivers of our debt. And then they also say, and then let us exempt, you know, all defense spending. And so in the end, what they're effectively saying is that this this is like a vast majority of the budget. It's it's not that defense is causing our debt problem, but it's like if you look at the the part of the budget where where um, where all these entitlement programs aren't what we call discretionary spending, you know, defense spending is about nine hundred. It's it's about nine hundred billion at least of that one point six trillion dollars of that part of the budget. So basically, you exclude an enormous amount on the other side, uh, probably you know seventy percent of the other side, and then you add all of and just like basically you're left with with budget rules and constraints that are put on a teeny bitty 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 share of the budget and that's just not a solution uh, i as you're talking about the mil <clears throat> excuse me the the defense spending part you know we have these 12 appropriations that are that are what they're supposed to do and then i look at things that are smaller numbers that actually have other actions they can take to help our economy uh, the subcommittee on energy and water is one. I know I'm getting a little into the weeds, but you know what, Veronique here and with this audience, we, we get into the weeds. 
energy and water as proposed in the FY 2023 out of the House. We don't have a presidential or a Senate version. Uh, would increase to $56.3 billion. But if we just change policy on energy, revenue and economic activity would both go up. We'd have increased revenue, increased tax revenue. We'd have economic activity, drivers of other parts of the economy. So we'd have an offset in these areas. So both government and private Actually, can work together, but I mean, is is the is the Kevin McCarthy led House not looking at these things this way? So the, I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure some of them are right, but the problem is that they're kind of uh, right now at this at this point they're more like looking for a quick kind of um, way to kind of signal their commitment. And because there's very little they can do, they're like talking about, oh, we're going to cap spending or we're going to balance the budget over 10 years, which, by the way, is not possible if you don't touch Social Security and Medicare. Um, and uh, and they're, so they, what you're talking about is actually valid and it's essential. In, in a sense, what we have to do on top of actually constraining the driver of our debt, reforming them, uh, making them more sustainable – what we have to do is we have to unleash the economy. And you do this by basically uh, freeing the supply side. Uh, uh, and that's how you grow the economy. You, you remove all the, you remove as many as you can uh, regula- regulation that are constraining our ability to build. There are infrastructure for water, energy, uh, for housing, for all of this thing. And you will create a boom for sure. The permitting uh, re- regulations right now are so enormous that we can't, like the U.S. can't mine, can't build, can't build roads. I mean, it, it will take like 12 years to get uh, to get the authorization to do some sort of construction, and that incre- that that includes um, uh, green energy projects. So this is vitally important. It is just as vitally important as reforming these programs, but for the time that they have until we reach the point where all the extraordinary measures have been used and we have to raise the debt ceiling, you know, they don't have time to actually go and make the case for each one of these um, these steps to free the supply side. But you're right, this is essential. And they're just not looking at this in the real world. I, I mean, I, 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 okay, you know what? I'm in that weeds mood today. <laughs> I'm in that weeds mood with you. No, I mean, but you're, you're right. It's, but you know what has been lost, David? Like, who is talking right now about growing the economy? No one is. This is so weird. Like, I went back and I looked and I remember that it wasn't so long ago. In 2014, uh, if you remember, Jeb Bush actually had a campaign that he was mocked for, for actually growing the economy by by 4%. It used to be a thing that we used to talk about economic growth and its importance, because actually you cannot overstate the value of economic growth. And now no one's talking about this. And you have a lot of people, you have a lot of pundits on the right, and you have like, you have, you have even a few senators like J.D. Vance and that are poo-pooing the free market, and they're poo-pooing the objective of growth because they're saying, oh, you know, it's like growth is just not doing exactly what we want it to do. But 
Yeah. It's just, it's, it's really, this is something that's been lost, and I'm so glad you brought it up. Let's go to the entitlements for a moment. And, you know, I, I, I sit around and read over the course of my career, and I, I go back and I look at options and possibilities. Republicans are afraid to talk about reforming the system, which interestingly, a lot of on the people on the right, I'll say elected officials, will talk about reforming unions. But just see if, you, if this tracks with you. One of the things is in the union structure, whether it's police, fire, you know, certain essential, what we call essential areas of our society, they talk about, okay, those that are vested in the system must get, those that are coming in, there has to be options, changes in pension plans, you know, changes in other things, right? It's a form of an entitlement. You work, you pay into it, you're entitled to it. When it comes to Social Security and our big drivers that you're talking about in these entitlements, there's no option or talk of a graduated down system in play. There are people that over time could enter into the market if they choose rather than pay into Social Security. The more people enter into the market and market over time, we're talking 30, 40 years of our lifetime, is a better rate of return than you get from pittances in you know social security while you wait for 114 dollars more a year in a cola adjustment or whatever you know depending on inflation so why are republicans in the right not having the discussion about offering people the options which let me take this to another point in short form if the system is better because fewer people are into it fewer payees into more retirees then there's more ability to take care of those who fall or fail People, there will always be poor, there will always be circumstances, deliberate, otherwise, accident, whatever it is, that brings people to the point where they need some form of subsistence. But if less people are drawing out of the system, if it's means-tested for those who don't need to draw out of the system, then you have at least a stable or better, more stable system. And I, look, it won't happen over a year, it won't happen over two, four, six years, but you can get to the point where you can get out of this death spiral with Social Security. This economic death spiral. I, I now, am, am I crazy here? No, you're not crazy. So I entirely agree with you. But politically, that's what exactly what they don't want. A lot of people on the right and on the left feel that actually it is the uh, universality, the, the the universality of, of programs like Medicare and Medicaid um, that actually uh, create the support for it. Not to mention that they're also like you know like like sound bites that are completely false, that we're entitled to it, that somehow there's an account with your name on it. It's not true. While you have to pay into the system with your taxes, you're paying for current retirees. You're not putting money aside some, somewhere in an account for, for you. And Congress can change the law at any time. And if they do, and let's say decide to cut benefits by 50%, it doesn't matter how much you're, you're, you've paid in, you're not entitled to what you've paid in. And the Supreme Court has actually ruled about, about this in the 60s. Uh, so, but you said something which is, you know, really important. It's like the problem that we have now um, is precisely that because we have a system where basically you tax everyone to give money to everyone, Right, especially to people who don't need it, it means that the people who truly need it get much less. 
And if you want to know how much, uh, how important it would be and, and how feasible it would be to go to a means-tested uh, type of program, it's like seniors are overrepresented in the top income quintile. It wasn't the case when these programs were created, right? Before the event of the uh, capital market, when you stopped working, people hadn't saved their whole life to, to be able to accumulate savings to plan for their retirement. But this has changed. So it used to be that workers, uh, seniors would stop working and they would be poor. That is not the case anymore. So the people who pay for those seniors who are overrepresented in the top income quintile, which doesn't mean that every senior is rich, right? But as a group, they're pretty well off. They're actually the most well off of all the other groups. Um, young people are overrepresented in the bottom income quintile. And what effectively these programs are, are a massive transfer of wealth from relatively young and relatively poor people to relatively old and relatively um, uh, rich people. So we, it's an imperative that we move away from age-based system and instead we move, we move to, towards a needs-based system uh, precisely because they don't make any sense anymore. And what it would allow is exactly what you said. It's like if you actually shrink the pool of beneficiary, which, again, makes no sense to tax everyone, to redistribute to everyone. That concept is in and of itself is, 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 is makes no sense. And, and you, if, you, if you shrink the pool of the beneficiaries, then you can give more to those who really truly need, because they are seniors who are really, uh, really poor. But um, those seniors are poor, but it does not, what matters is not that they're seniors, it matters that they're poor. If we want as a society to, to, to support anything, it's less support seniors. But I will tell you why uh, neither the Republicans or the Democrats want to go there. It's because seniors are also the people who vote. If they took the approach, and actually I'll just say it all right, they're cowards. They are cowards. Yeah. Republicans, Democrats, they're all cowards. Because what I've outlined doesn't kill grandma, doesn't throw grandma or grandpa off the cliff because they're already in and they deserve the return as it's such as it is. And I'll put that in air quotes that they've put in. But a 20-year-old, 23-year-old coming out of college, a 19-year-old, 18, 19-year-old out of high school, they've got to be given these options. And then there's a last factor. You and I could go forever, but then my producers would start telling me, David, you do need to break eventually. That's why I like having you back. I want to add a factor here to the cowards in Washington, D.C., primarily. Life expectancy. When Social Security, for example, began 44, 44 workers for one retiree. I think you and I remember probably one of our conversations in past years. We are now at eight to one, probably down to five, seven, six to one. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's where we are. And then we're much lower, actually. I think we're like three to one. Okay, right. Okay, so thank you. Now my day's gone. Okay, I'm just kidding. But let's keep going with this. Current life expectancy keeps increasing every year because we're better. We're medical. People are living longer. They're living healthier lives. Those seniors. Now the current life expectancy in 2023 projected out is 79.11 years. That's, a, that's an increase from 2022. It just trends upward, which means people are drawing out of the system longer, getting less, drawing longer. Yeah. But living, but not able to live the best because they're not getting what they should have, or they didn't have the ability to invest and get it better in the long term. 
So yeah. uh, this 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 I is agree. Greece. I mean, the returns the returns on Social Security are actually terrible. If you had invested in the markets, you would actually be much well off. Um, but so there's the system doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's it's just it is bound to be insolvent. But I want to correct one little thing that you said. You said people who are in the system are entitled to it because they paid off. But you know what happens if they don't reform Social Security when we hit when we hit nineteen uh, twenty. 34 or 5, when the trust fund dries out, benefits for current retirees are going to be cut above 20%, by, by more than 20%. And they're not yeah. entitled to anything else. I mean, it doesn't matter. If Congress doesn't do anything, benefits are going to be cut, and there's nothing they can do about it. So this notion that we're, we're somehow we're entitled, we haven't paid into the system. No, our work has just made us eligible for the benefits. But it, it doesn't define that the benefits are what they were at the time where you were paying. Congress can go and cut the benefits of current retirees, and there's nothing anyone can do except, you know, vote against those guys. But um, anyway, just like this notion that doing nothing is kind of the way to maintain the integrity of the benefits that 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 seniors are are enjoying right now is is nonsensical. If they yeah. don't get their act together, if they don't reform, when the, the the trust fund dries out, those benefits will be automatically cut. We're going to revert to a pay-as-you-go system, which means Social Security will not be able to pay more than it collects in the payroll tax, and that's probably a gap of twenty to twenty-five uh, percent cut to uh, to benefits. And thank you for that. I was getting into you know angry Dave mode, but but you know, yeah. you're right. You're right for the. But this but is. But I mean, that should make the, you even angrier. <laughs> yeah, you you and I are having a conversation that somehow our vaunted elected officials are incapable of acting on. And, and I'll say this in in closing because I guess we do have to eventually stop. They're going to start yelling at me in a minute. Uh, we'll just bring her back for like an hour sometime. <laughs> we'll really get into this. I, I hope I'm making people in the audience. I hope we are making them angry and angrier because to to the Republican elected officials, I'm not talking about the Democrats. For the large part, we know where most Democrats are on spending and government and collection, whatever, Elizabeth Warren wants to tell you what you're worth when you get older. Uh, when your seniors that you're so worried about losing as a voting block are living a lousy life because of the decisions you were afraid to effect, change, or work on, and they're pissed off and poor, they're not going to be as happy voting for you. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I, You know what, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop because you and I always have good conversations about serious issues. And I want to end on a happy note where we started. But keep people thinking. Yes. That's thank you, we'll David. Do. Oh, no, thank you. I, I, I love your work. I love what you do. Thank you so much. If we get enough people to wake up and go out and do something about these politicians, then we've done our and job. Young people need where, – where is the outrage? They're the one we're going to be who's transferring all these wealth. You know, and yeah. it's where I mean, where is the youth outrage? I guess there's our next segment. Climate. Our next segment, guys, make a note of this and get you know, help us with this one. Here's our next segment. Young, the youth going into Social Security. 
You're right. Let's, we're talking a lot of the seniors. Yeah, they're listening. Their families, the youth, they're listening to. Let's explain to them what's not going to be there when it goes broke and they're taking your money now. Let's do that next one. Yeah. All right. See, we have a deal. We made up another segment. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> Thank you, Veronique. Thank you, Thank you. Veronique DeRugge, uh, Senior Research Fellow at Mercatus and George Mason. Yeah, young people. Yeah, I, okay. Well, you know, I, I break the rules. I go to this my show. But are you listening? Do you have children and grandchildren? Because the next conversation we're going to have, we should podcast and you can share with them. Oh, I'm going to work. I'm paying into the system. It's going to be great. In about 40 or 50 years, I'm going to be broke. That's what you're going to be. If you're 20-something right now or 30-ish and you're, you know, paying in, are you going to retire in 10, 15 years? Some may. Are you going to retire? You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.